Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to what is probably the most consequential podcast, not just of this program, but of the entire year. Mm. It's the Screen Watching 2023 Best of TV Edition. This is not like TV only better. Television! Teacher! Mother! Secret lover. What, that's it? That's your movie? Well, I said that I had an idea for a movie. Here's the thing you need to understand about this podcast. We're innovators. We oh, look yeah. at the medium. We think about media generally. Then we think about the podcasting medium. And then we think about the various media we discuss in this podcast. And we mm -hmm. look at it and think, what is the one thing we can do here that nobody else is doing? And so Simon, brains trust of the organization, says to me, oh, yeah. Dan, end of year lists. Yeah. And I was like, Simon, you little ripper, you've done it again. So what I do. Uh, like. I guess we need to explain what this is. Um, a year runs from the beginning of January to the end of December. Okay. And so if there's any TV shows that debuted during that time period, and yes. we're not talking about, um, you know, all the episodes of a series. So if a show debuted on the 28th of December and it was weekly going forward, the mm. episodes that aired in December, not relevant. The episodes that aired in January onwards, relevant. That's how it works. It's so very easy we, stuff, yeah. Exactly. So we're going to do the television programs that aired between January 1st through to December 31st, 2023. How could this be, you say? The year isn't over just yet. You've still got a couple of weeks. And it's like, guys, don't worry. We watch a bit of TV ahead of time. We know what's coming. We know about the news. We know about sports results. We're across it all. So don't worry. See, if you're with me so far, innovated yeah. under the year lists, we're innovating podcasts. This is the only podcast you'll find on the internet where two white guys who are probably politely referred to as middle-aged are talking about mm -hmm. movies and TV shows, offering their thoughts on them. Original, outstanding, fresh content no one else is doing. We've got that. We've got the end of year lists. It's all happening. Simon when are Foster, we going to make a list? When are we going to get on a list somewhere? Someone's got to be doing a list of whiny white guys talking about film and TV. We have to be in the top five somewhere, surely, wouldn't we? Uh, I'm actually in a list of the number, like, it's not number one. I think I'm like number four on the list. Hmm. It's number four, you know, I'll admit it, of uh, people who walk their dogs every evening around my local neighborhood. Good to know. See, we're, mm. we're getting it. We're making inroads into the list community, and that's what's important. Small steps, Dan. Small steps. Yeah, look, absolutely. Uh, I'm not with my dog, so it's big steps. We've got to get up a mountain. Yeah, anyway, fun. Simon. Sorry, I should introduce you. Simon Foster, this is the film guy. I'm the TV guy. But yeah. this week, we're doing TV. Next week, week after, we haven't worked it out just yet. We'll do the film. Still got a bit of movie watching to do before we do the film one, although, as you say, we are well ahead of the curve on what we're watching, unless Out of the Blue, Far Away Downs decides to be the film, TV film oh. adaptation of the year. No, no. Um, Good news, Simon. I've seen, yeah. I've seen it all. There's no danger of that. Not going to happen? All right, good no. to know, because I'm going to be tuning into that. As we record this, I'm just about to sit down and watch Far Away Downs, why I don't know. But having I, said sorry, that... Sorry, I like the idea. As we record this, like, you'll be watching that as the podcast is being recorded. I figure I can get away with it just this once. You know, I've seen Australia. This is, what is it, an extra five hours of it or something? Oh, God, that just irks me. All right, okay, so we're looking at the... And we're not calling it the best TV of the year because, frankly, I haven't seen enough TV. There's a lot of really high-profile titles out there that I just didn't get around to watching. So we're calling it our favourites 
of the year. Now, you've watched a lot more television than I have, so you're going to come at it from a lot more sort of critical perspective, and I hope I can bring that to the film environment. Yes, Daniel? Uh, sorry, just to confirm, Simon's doing his favourite list. I'm doing the best. Just so oh, you're doing the best. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So shall we just kick straight into this? Will I go in with my three almost made it? Okay, so this is exactly it. So, look, no list can be confined to just 10. No list can be confined to 50. But we've decided to do 10 and then just, like, a couple of additionals that we think are worthy of consideration. So, Simon, let's... Yeah, let's do the worthy of consideration. Just a quick sort of a list. And maybe if we don't know what those titles are, we can elaborate a little bit. But by and large, do you just want to let us know what is on your list of also-runs for 2020? Also runs for me this year, three titles that um, just missed out for whatever reason, all fine shows, but just couldn't crack the top 10. First of all, uh, the miniseries Love and Death with Mary Kathleen Kate Olsen. What's her name? WandaVision. She was in the lead, true, based on a true story, compelling true life murder mystery case. She gave a great performance in that and a great cast as well. Jesse Plemons was in there, Patrick Fugit as well. Um, it was a very smartly told, very tummy churning, but also quite humorous take on the on the, the murder mystery that was uh, based on a true life story. Sorry, Simon, can I remind you what just listing them out means and not oh, giving sure. a summation as to why it deserves to not be on your list, but is also on a list? All right, fine. Okay. The next one for me was the reboot, the relaunch of Utopia, the Australian comedy with uh, Rob Sitchie up front. Very funny. Hit, hit the ground running right. as much as it did the other year. I, I wouldn't this, call that a reboot as much as it was just the latest season. But continue. The latest season. There we go. The, the, the return of, let's say that. Mm. Um, and the third one for me is a very new one. It's only a couple of episodes in. Uh, maybe after the full series run, I wouldn't make the list. But for the first two, it's Nathan Fielder has a very unique storytelling voice. And the rehearsal for me is cringy, awkward, <laughs> kind of horrible comedy. But him and Emma Stone together are terrific. List. Small List, I'm listing it. All right, we're runs. into it. We're into it. Okay. So there's my three. What do you got? What do you got from your end? Okay. So I'm doing a t- top ten, obviously, but I've got, uh, we'll say nine others I just wanted to throw in as part of the nine? potpourri of conversation. And this mm. is how a list works, Simon. Star Trek Picard, third season, delivered. The Big Door Prize. Do you know what show that was, Simon? That, yes, that was the uh, one with the, not Steve Coogan, the uh, Chris O'Dowd. Correct. And that's an Apple TV Plus show. Great show about a man who gets, what's that machine from the big movie? The, um, wasn't a skill. Uh, the Zoltar, the... Zoltan, Zoltar yeah. wish, wish making machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Zoltan machine of sorts. Uh, also, I'm a Virgo, which is a great Boots Riley series on Prime Video. Shrinking, which is the very funny Harrison Ford, um, what's his name from uh, Jason Siegel comedy on um, Apple TV Plus. Dead Ringers, the TV series remake of the classic film for like 1991. 88. 88. Okay, mm-hmm. close enough. Uh, Still Up, which is a very funny Apple TV Plus comedy. A show which, Simon, you need to get across this one because you will dig it big time. It's called Blue Eye Samurai. It's an anime oh, yeah. series on Netflix. Uh, it's, it's got a lot more Western influence than most anime usually does, but it's, it's kicks ass and it's highly entertaining. Uh, Platonic, which was the Seth Rogen, uh, Rose Byrne comedy on Apple TV Plus. My back-end list, a lot of Apple TV Plus, Simon. A lot of Apple TVs in there. So much. Swarm, which was the Amazon series about the sort of Beyonce fan type character who goes on a murderous rampage. Um, 
very funny, very dark stuff. Anyway, that's my bottom end nine. Wow. Okay. Let me just say from that, of all those nine, there's one in there that mm. made my top ten. So I'm keen to see which okay. you think it might be. So all fine shows, some I mean, of which I, I've seen, but most of which I was to guess. If I was to guess, I think it'll be shrinking, but we'll see. We'll discover as the journey goes on. Let's see. Okay, so Simon, let's do this. 10 through 1. You can start first with 10. And then as we get to 1, we'll both get a drum roll. I am not going to put these in any specific numbered order. These were just the 10 I favored the most. So we'll start with my 10. Simon, this is the point in the show where we commit to a list. This is number 10. This thing. I'm a free flowing, I'm sort of fly by the pants kind of guy. But okay, all right. 10 for me. Um, I had to choose from three of the big science fiction shows on Apple TV this year. Not a fan of Foundation. Am a fan of Invasion, but haven't got round to the second season yet. So I'm settling into Silo. Silo for me was a handsomely mounted soap opera set in this giant underground silo where people are existing and being told for 140 years that um, nothing exists outside of the silo and there starts to be cracks in that facade. So for me, this was a handsomely mounted, wonderfully acted bit of high-end science fiction. So for me, Silo sneaks into the top 10 at 10. I think Silo started with a really great, was it a two-part episode where we saw we followed two characters around and then something happens at the end of that episode and then we don't see those characters for the rest of the season and Mm. i found myself sitting there going i kind of want to know what happened over there i don't care at all what's happening from episode three onwards i kind of dug it i thought there was a strong mix of characters a strong mix of actors to play those characters and the show itself looked and felt amazing some amazing sort of um uh, human emotions involved in this very sort of dystopian world. So that's my 10. Where are you coming into this list? Okay, my number 10 is also an Apple TV Plus series, and it's my only Apple TV Plus series in the top 10, just so we can establish that. It sure. is a series starring one Idris Elba. It's called Hijack. Stay in your seats! Get down! No! Down! Operation has commenced. Phones, tablets. The plane is under control. You need to see this. Plane veered, of course. Someone is calling for help. Okay, Simon, I don't think that you ended up watching this one, but this is kind of the promise of a lot of the limited event series that we kind of thought we'd be getting, and then instead limited event series just became kind of like a meandering story that just kind of resolves at some point. This Mm. is a tightly plotted drama about a plane that gets taken hostage, And in the spirit of all those movies we watched through the 80s and 90s, there is just one man on the plane who's able to deal with the situation that's happening. It is a man who, conveniently enough, corporate negotiator. Nice. Yeah. Played by Idris Elba. Anyway, this is a hugely entertaining, propulsive TV program that absolutely is equal to any of those sort of films we saw through the 80s or 90s like this is as good as an executive decision by any i was gonna say it feels a lot like executive decision and and uh which was a great film so if it's anything like that that's a bonus and elba my god between him and i that's that's one handsome man i gotta say Uh, i don't really know how you quite answer the equation there but i'll say this about idris elba's character in this what i think is particularly fun and interesting is that he's not a character that kicks ass and at no point does he suddenly become a character who kicks ass outside of his ass-kicking skills in the talent of negotiating. 
All right. That sounds interesting. I, I know I've heard great things about it. Just another one. And I'm going to be saying this a lot because, you know, we put a festival together and I had things going on. So I didn't get around yeah, to see yeah. things like uh, Hijack. But I promise I will at some point. I probably won't. Okay. My number nine show. This one wasn't on many people's radar. but And I must admit that I stumbled across this when the smarter, more TV savvy person in the household was watching it. It's called Blue Lights. Now, it's a Belfast-based a police story. It tells the story of these three young recruits who are just sort of getting, getting into the, the Northern Ireland police force and how they deal with life on the street and uh, uh, crusty old partners and crusty tough criminals they're up against, most notably the terrific John Lynch, um, a million miles away from his sliding doors character in this one. He plays one of the hardest, meanest dudes on television this year and a great cast of, of young actors as the, the young leads. So um, it was uh, BBC One in the UK, SBS On Demand here in Australia. It launched, I think, back in mid-year here. So if you haven't had a chance to have a look at Blue Lights yet, I thought it was the best cop show this year. I've heard of the program. I'm aware it exists, but I have not watched it. But based on the recommendation of your lovely wife, I will give this one a look. Definitely. All right. You're yeah. in for number nine. Number nine. This is, I wouldn't, I'm going to guess if there's one show which both of us have on a list, it's probably this one. I've got a series. It's from Home Box Office. It's called Succession. Why does everyone ask how I'm feeling? I got done a huge deal. I got the election. I got ATM. I got plenty on my plate. He's on the floor, Tom. Explain me what he's doing. He's moseying, terrifyingly moseying. It's like if Santa Claus was a hitman. Succession. Simon, have you heard of this program? Are you across I it? Know you know of it? this program? Yeah. Yes, I'm aware of it. I didn't have yeah, it on my um, list, though. Oh, really? Okay, I thought yeah, this would be on your list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I've steered away from it. I don't. It hasn't lasted in my mind as long as I thought it would. And these have, these ones have made more of an impact. But do, do go yeah. ahead. Oh well, look. I was, what I'd probably say about this season is that I think for the most part of the four seasons, this is probably the third best one. Mm -hmm. Okay. I honestly feel that a lot of the attention that Succession got for. I'm just going to spoil it. Sorry, guys. You've had enough time, and I think this yeah. is well and truly known. Well away, uh, in, Yeah. In the first third of the season, the patriarch of the series, Logan Roy, dies. And so oh. the rest of the series, the entire series has been building up to what happens after he dies, and we get that early in. Uh, what I would say is that a lot of the drama around that and all those listicles of all these shows, uh, of these sort of writers going, oh, they've really depicted um, like death and the way that people relate to death more humanely than TV's ever done before. And I'm thinking, maybe watch more TV, maybe watch more movies. It wasn't actually really that impressive, but in the context of the program, I think it really fit quite nicely into what they were doing. But I do think that when you've got this very maudlin thing that took place where none of the characters really sort of led their most acerbic lives in the way that they have through every other major life event, big and small, for the previous three seasons, when suddenly this one comes along and everyone just gets a case of the sads, uh, it, it just really took away from what I thought the heart of the program was, which was really a very clever, dark joke machine dressed up as a drama. And, yeah, and I, I, think know, it ended on, I think it ended on exactly the right note that it, it needed to end on. Those three were despicable people, and in the real world of business, they kind of got what was coming to them, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, I just never even thought they were that despicable. I just thought that they were just also runs where all the stuff that's actually really taking place was happening in a room where they weren't. 
And so all yeah. the actual maneuvering that's happening, all the planks being laid, all the foundations, breweries happening elsewhere. And these guys, for all of their shenanigans and all their plotting and planning, just kind of amounts to nothing. And in the final run of episodes, I just kind of think the show kind of got away from that as an idea. And suddenly these guys actually were in the seat. And when that was happening, it just sort of seemed less authentic, I guess, than it had been. But also, mm. like, it ended fine. I don't really have any sort of major grievances about the end of it. Um, it's certainly and worthy of being number nine on my list of top ten of the year. I think you're exactly right. And, of course, Brian Cox went on to bigger and better things as the reluctant <laughs> oh. host of 007 game shows. <laughs> uh, it's called 007 Road to a Million, Simon. Oh, my God. What an embarrassment. We're, not, we're right. not going to do a worst list of 2023. But rest assured, that is number one. Yeah, it'd be there for you. Okay, my number eight this year. Now, it's a bit of a grey area because it's actually a 2022 show in the UK but didn't hit uh, the... Uh, uh, but it didn't hit the the, the local streaming platforms till, till uh, well into 2023. It's called Kunk on Earth. It's Philomena Kunk's epic doc- mockumentary series about the history of mankind and civilization as it all came together. Diane Morgan in the lead is just comic genius she is hilarious i don't think there's maybe one other show which is a bit higher up the list for me where i maybe laughed more but there were moments in this one when i was doubled over with giggles so kunk on earth i thought was just (laughs) just saying the name makes me giggle um was was very very funny look what i'll say about kunk on earth is i've been a big fan of kunk for many years and this delivered yeah oh absolutely it did i can i still go around quoting um her comment that uh Theatre for stupid people, otherwise known as sport. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is very Sorry, funny. I mean, you have your little moment. It's fine. I do have my moments. All right, so that was my number eight. Where do you fall on the number eights chart? Number eights. Uh, this is the first time I think I've really done this. Uh, I've got two animated series in my top ten. which I don't think animation usually plays much of a role in my top ten. It may have last year maybe with Pantheon, but I'm not too sure which was a very little scene AMC series. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, it certainly was. Very little scene. So what sneaks in? What what cartoon? What kids' show sneaks in? Well, cartoons aren't necessarily just kids' shows. It's not Doctor Who, Simon. (laughs) Okay, let's see. What's what's your answer? Okay. Uh, It actually is a kids' show. Uh, It's a TV program. May have heard of it. It's called Bluey. I'll admit, I only came to Bluey sort of in the last couple of months when I started allowing my two-year-old to actually start watching some TV properly. Uh, Bluey has become a regular fixture in the household. TV alternates between Bluey to, um, oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, Puppy Dog Powers, which is a not great show on Disney. Could be worse. Could be worse. Okay. Actually, it could be a lot worse. Like it's probably in the top sort of 25% of, you know, good cartoons for kids, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it just kind of bugs me a little bit. Um, And then also Hey Dougie, which I think is a really incredible British uh, kids cartoon. Okay. But Bluey, pretty good. In fact, I'd say very good. And what I'd say about this is that as someone who's only come to it in the last couple of months, I haven't been watching it year on year, but I have watched almost all 150 odd episodes in the space of just a couple of months. With that, I can actually say very firmly, season three is easily the best the show's ever been. It's the show that gets better and better. 
And one of the last episodes of the third season is this incredible episode called TV Shop. And the episode, and if if you're a grown-up adult, don't watch Bluey. It's a kid's TV program. But it's a very Mm. good kid's TV program. Okay. Okay. I always get suspicious of adults who are watching Bluey without kids Mm. in the household. But if you're going to watch one episode, just to get an idea as to this is what the show is about. Make it TV Shop. What this is about is uh, Bluey, her sister um, Bingo, and their dad Bandits. The three of them are driving to Chemist Warehouse because, as Dad says, he needs to get some vitamins because he's been feeling really old lately. Okay, and there's a moment where I think it's Bluey pipes up from the back and she says, oh, is it because of us, Dad? And he's like, yes. And then she sort of settles back in her seat a little bit and feels a bit uncomfortable. Uh, but then he follows up with a fairly nice thing to say, which is, but you also make me feel younger than I've ever been in my life. There and you so go. It's kind of That's a nice a little moment. There. That is but a lovely moment. The three of them are driving to a chemist warehouse, non-branded because it's, you know, not a product placement, but it's clearly chemist warehouse. And they all walk in and the dad's going straight to the vitamin aisle because that's what he's there for. But the kids are excited by the closed circuit television system inside the chemist warehouse. And so they look up there and see that a kid from their school who ended up having to leave early because of some sort of medical ailment that they weren't like quite across is there somewhere in the store. And so Bluey sends her sister Bingo through the store to try to find like their other friend. And she's like directing her via the TVs and the various cameras around. And so the camera is flipping like, you know, section of the store, section by the store. And I also noticed that there's a bunch of their other friends who are all in the chemist warehouse at the same time. And it's about this group who over the course of the seven minute episode, all like this, each of them are involved in their own little stories. Okay. But it's told in a sort of fairly fulsome manner where each of those stories intersect and this group of kids all come together to get, take part in this one quest, which is to find their school friend who's somewhere in the chemist warehouse. And it is the most joyous, fun seven minutes of TV you will see all year. It is an absolute delight of television and, and would take I've seen this some... episode maybe seven or eight times now and it makes me smile from side to side every time and also exhibits what a skillful bunch of storytellers they are so to, to cut something together like that and make it work so well yeah. that is a really sort of mastery of, of narrative form to, to make that happen it is like there's actual sort of moments of poignancy and pathos that take place through it but also sheer joy and as we are talking about like there's seven or eight sort of mini stories taking place all within this that all come together as part of this sort of beautiful harmonious package. It's incredible well, TV. me, sister. I'm going to watch yeah. it. Uh, I haven't watched, I've never watched an episode of Bluey, so I'm going to do that right just now. Just this one. That's all you have to do. Okay. Yeah. Right. Number seven, Ooh, Simon, TV what have you show. got? Number seven, this was uh, arguably the TV show moments of the year, The Last of Us. Pedro Pascal, he came off his time as the Mandalorian, slipped into this role to show what a really good, tough, but sensitive actor he is. And Bella Ramsey as Ellie is the star of this. She is amazing. Um, Everything about The Last of Us defied the fact that it was a based on a video game adaptation. It worked beautifully. And, of course, the episode that everyone's talking about uh, with Nick Offerman um, and his partner uh, living a life when Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey don't even appear in that episode until right near the end is, is was just a masterpiece of television storytelling. So The Last of Us, for me, was, was easily in the top ten for the year. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there was a top ten episode of the year and oh, that. Sure. I don't know about the season yeah. as a whole, to be completely honest. But also I come no, to it from a bias where me. Well I come to I it with a bias where I'd play the game 
And I didn't really understand yeah. why the series needed to exist on top of that. Now that episode has a good reason as to why that episode of TV should exist, but I'm not still not sold entirely on the season existing. Hmm. And as someone who regular listeners will know, I haven't played a game since Sega 8-Bit Soccer um, was was totally spellbound by the whole season. So maybe there's something in there for the for the producers to work on. So that was my seven. What's your seven, Dan? Oh, look, I think the raving critic reviews, uh, they're fine. They don't need to listen to my opinions on this one. Yeah. <laughs> look, uh, my one, it's a, another series that wound out this year. Uh, this is a show which in previous years, probably higher up on the list, but I don't think the show necessarily diminished in quality. I think it was just a bunch of really good programs this year. Uh, it's mm. season five, final season of a show called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Maisel. Oh, you love your Maisel. There wouldn't be there, for a while there. There wasn't a show would go by without you mentioning your Maisel. <sighs> Simon, she was just a bee's knees. <laughs> no, look. What I really liked about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, well, there were quite a number of things, but one of the things I particularly liked is that every season explored the world of show business circa like that sort of um, late 50s, early 60s period, and just explored it from different perspectives. So we saw Maisel start out as a club comic, and then she sort of works her way up to what a national tour looks like, what playing bigger venues looks like. And so we see her career sort of fluctuate and go through various different sort of ebbs and flows. The final season, and my understanding is they did not plan for this to be the final season, but they were sort of told, you know, midway into the planning of the season, this is going to be your final season. Uh, When you sort of watch it, you do think that there's elements of it where you kind of wish the show had kept on going and just explored it a little bit further, but they wrapped it up fairly nicely. And this final season, the setting around it was what would happen if the titular Mrs. Maisel started working for a Johnny Carson style tonight program. So all those shows during that time era were sort of um, shot around New York and it was very much sort of tied to that local sort of uh, nightclub club scene. Um, so sure. this actually fits really nicely into where she is as a character and sort of fitting into it. And so it takes you from the grimy nightclubs and sort of big band um, tours that we've been seeing and suddenly puts you into a TV studio, which, I mean, obviously I'm biased because, you know, obvious reasons, don't need to get into that. But I wanted to see what it looks like for her to be a writer as a trailblazing female comedian, um, getting her dues within the male writing staff of this um, Johnny Carson style show. Uh, you've got and a bunch of very, like, interesting. Sorry. I was going to say, you just got and some supporting fits... actors who came into it for the season, Simon. You got, um, particularly, I guess, maybe Reed Scott sort of playing the Carson type character. But all of it just gelled together. By the end of the season, like it felt like a complete piece. The standout episode is one which is set in the 1990s, in the late 90s. And it is a um, roast, uh, non televised roast, but like a Fries Club roast. Uh, for the manager of Mrs. Maisel, Susie Myers. And it's basically every character really sort of talking about Myers as the character, you know, of years gone by, but she's still alive. But you get to find a lot about what's happened between the 60s through to like the late 90s in their lives, while also being very funny and a really interesting look at the way that American entertainment showbiz has changed during that time as well. Interesting. And I was going to say it's it's very historically relevant and historically accurate that she would come out of that sort of uh, big band stand up 
lifestyle and, and start to her career and go into those early years of television because that's where Sid Caesar and Carl Reiner and Larry Gelbert and all those great sort of writing names from the early years of television comedy came from. So it's a, it's a, it's a very realistic progression of her character into that environment. Yeah, and as I said, they sort of took a different look at entertainment as a business, like with every season. So it was about time that they did that and they delivered on it really nicely. So number six for me, my friend, is the only one from your pre-10 list that uh, made my top 10. It's a little show called Platonic with my other other movie wife, Rose Byrne, uh, having just the best chemistry of the year with Seth Rogen. They are so good together. They've done a lot of work together and they've worked with Nicola Stoller, the creator of this and um, director of this series previously the comedy the humanity the relationship she had with him and with her husband played by luke mcfarlane was was wonderful this was my hangout comedy of the year that's a term you introduced me to and i just loved being in the company of of these people and the humor that they brought she's just so wonderful my main regret this year is that i that i still haven't got around to seeing her finish out the physical series, the other AB, Apple TV one that she's in at the moment, which I love the first season of, but just haven't found time for the rest. So um, uh, Platonic, my number six. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason why Platonic should have a season two because the story wraps up fairly nicely. But I Very would like nice to see season. Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne come back together to do a different TV show every two or three years and just see them come at the characters from slightly different perspectives, but still at the same time, just deliver what is a very sort of typical Seth Rogen and a fairly typical Rose Byrne partnership. It's wonderful the way they play off each other. She's got such a handle on his delivery and, and, and is, is terrific opposite him and, it brings it, and she brings out the best in him as well. Don't miss Rose Byrne's appearance in the Seth Rogen-produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem cartoon, where she has a very prominent uh, voice role on it, which is absolutely not voice casting I ever would have thought of, but she's perfect in it. She does it very well. Yes, she does. What's Mm. your number six? Uh, My number six is a TV series that I thought would get a lot more sort of purchased by people by this point in the year, and it just kind of came and went, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, It's a Netflix series called Beef. Now, Beef Simon, not to be confused with uh, the Disney Plus slash Hulu series The Bear, which is set in a restaurant called The Beef. Uh, This is a series about two people who get into a little car altercation, a beef if you have it. And over the course of the next, I think, 10 episodes, uh, it's about the two of them as their uh, engagement with each other starts escalating as they try to destroy each other's lives. Uh, Incredibly funny, incredibly tense. There's a episode like the Don Newmont of the show in episode nine has probably the funniest thing I'll ever see on television take place. It is gory and bloody and hilarious. Uh, This show, gripping TV, and I don't understand why more people have been into it. Yeah, I it divided the household a bit here. The the, the better half loved it. Uh, yeah, well. I didn't quite connect with it, and I haven't got to that last episode yet. So maybe I should re-engage. I I started to feel that these were two just unrealistically awful people doing these things to another. I, I kind of got why they were doing it, but it didn't give me anything to to latch onto and want to stay with them episode to episode if they were just going to keep doing these awful things. So some very funny moments and two great performances, just not quite the the experience that I maybe needed this year or wanted this year in a TV show. But quality, yeah. absolute quality. Yeah, look, so that's who leads in it being Ali Wong and Stephen Ewan. Uh, yeah. 
what I'd probably say about them is that your critique was that you couldn't sort of um, stick with these characters who are sort of one-upping each other and just being awful. This is kind of the thing with these sort of situations, though, where if you kind of get caught into it, you find yourself sort of stepping outside of the boundaries of what you would otherwise generally find permissible in your life. And as you start committing, because increasingly in the modern age, people don't like to step down or step back from their viewpoints, from the stance that they've taken. And this, to me, was a real encapsulation as to the way that people are just getting increasingly angry and people are willing to just sort of stick their guns um, and sometimes in the show, actually with proper guns, uh, sticks to their guns and, um, you know, just keep on pushing it until they get their way. Okay. Yep. It was uh, uh, certainly critically acclaimed, but yeah, you're right. It didn't quite become the, the grab all pop culture moment that it felt like it was going to become. For me... Yeah, and and weird, Simon, just couldn't... So when you consider the fact of who the cast were and the sort of thematic ideas and just the very sort of strong Asian-American um, pop cultural moment that's been taking place the sort of last year or two, sure. it's weird that the world just didn't latch onto this a little bit more. Sorry. For me, number five is another Apple TV one. Boy, we love our Apple TV this year. This one's called The Enfield Poltergeist. Now, for those that don't know what this means, uh, The Enfield Poltergeist is a true story between 77 and 1979 in the town of Enfield in the UK at 284 Green Street, to be exact. Um, the most recorded poltergeist activity ever took place. Um, upwards of 300 hours of recordings were done by a gentleman who stayed with the family, a single mother and her two teenage daughters and son. And this show is made up of those recordings, real life recordings that are then acted out by uh, actors sort of mouthing to the exact words. It made for the most compelling TV show. It also made for the most... Um, uh, skillfully produced show I've seen this year in which actions had to take place and sound effects uh, had to mimic exactly or, or sound had to mimic exactly the actions that were taking place on the stage. Um, it's such a clever bit of television, um, really sort of looks at what was a, a, a supernatural occurrence, the likes of which had never been recorded before. And it's all of that is brought to really vivid life in this, this British TV series, which, um, dropped on October 27 on Apple TV this year. If you haven't seen it, if you don't usually watch ghost stories or supernatural stuff, this might be something to watch just for, because of the, the manner in which they, they bring the drama to life. Yeah, I don't know, ghost stories. I'm all right. <laughs> Not your thing. I can almost hear you thinking, Simon, grow up. <laughs> I would never say such a thing, never. No, you wouldn't say it, you wouldn't say it. But okay. All right, what's your number five? <laughs> Uh, my number five is a show which did get all the critical plaudits. It was a series called Poker Face. Now, Simon, I can't help but feel that maybe there's a chance this made it onto your list. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to it. It's a little bit further okay, up, but well, it's, it's definitely on my list, yeah. Okay, I, I thought Succession would do it, but here we are. Uh, look, so this is a series where Natasha Leone stars as a... Uh, Las Vegas casino employee who has the ability to tell when somebody's uh, telling them, telling her BS. And so she can identify it. And so that becomes a fairly useful skill for her. Unfortunately, uh, through a series of circumstances in the first episode, she ends up on the run from the people that run the casino. And so episode by episode, she travels in a very, uh, the, the points of reference a lot of people made was the Rockford Files. 
okay, in that you got like a down and dirty sort of private investigator sort of going from case to case every episode. That's not really strictly what this is. Like, I understand how the inspiration for this show may have come from the Rockford Files, but the inspiration for well, yeah. the actual execution of the show is more in line with those other shows from the 60s and 70s, like The Fugitive or like The um, Invaders or one of those many other the shows Hulk. from the first like episode. The Hulk, wasn't it? The Incredible Hulk, yeah, great example. Um, something happens in the first episode and then episode by episode, this person travels across America and gets involved in mystery after mystery and helps people and, and there's a new story every week. Yeah. Yeah. Almost every show from the 60s and 70s is this format. Um, but yeah, so it's Natasha Leone. And the thing is, with every episode of this program, with the exception of there was one I just didn't really care much for, uh, they were just, you know, just a great sort of hangout throwback to a type of television that we just don't really get anymore, but executed with some really just um, amazing casting, just um, clever great script casting. writing, just great lines. And Natasha Leone is like a lead character in a show like this. It's kind of just exactly what I wanted from TV. So uh, if a TV oh, show is considered great because it gave me exactly what it is I want from a TV show, then this show may be the greatest show ever made. <laughs> Calm down. I'll bring. Listen, I, mine was only one ahead of you, so I'll bring it. I'll do Poker Face in this spot as well. It's um for me, it was the best first episode of any show this year. That opening episode with Adrian Brody um and everything taking place within the the confines of the casino, I thought was just great television. Really exciting storytelling. Brody was great. Natasha Leon bringing her full Natasha Leoness to the character, um, all the while Benjamin Bratt chasing her around, only one step behind, but still just out of reach of her. Is, I thought it was great television. And, and as you say, every bit of casting through each episode telling a different nar narrative was, was expertly done. So, yeah, loved Poker Face. It was, it was a, a market with a highlighter pen on your TV guide to make sure you didn't miss it. I was tuning in as soon as it dropped. Look, and I'll say this, there was only one TV show in 2023 that had guest appearances from two, not one, but two stars of the TV show Cheers. And that was Poker Face. Yes. Who really was? Who was it? Dancing? And Ratzenberger. There was no dancing. There was, was, the there was John Ratzenberger, who was... Yeah. John Ratzenberger has a fairly small role playing the... Um, was he a father or was he just like a... He, he was uh, the... Um, he, he, he ran the, the mechanic. The, uh, Mechanic, yeah, he was the mechanic who had the jerky kid. Yeah, but the and series the, ends the with kid? the, well, the series ends with the Natasha Leone character getting a phone call from the woman who runs the mob, and it's Rhea Perlman from Cheers. Of course it is. Which yeah, suggests yeah. that next season we'll see a lot more Rhea Perlman. That would be wonderful. All right, for me, we're into the top five. Was that number five? Oh, that was number seven. five, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, you gave number five, which is Poker Face. And oh, now I, I did my five my... with Poker Face. All right, well, I'll jump in here with my number four. This is probably the newest of the yeah. series. This is the newest series to hit television. It's also an Apple TV one. What is it with me and Apple TV? It's, I'm getting kickbacks for them. Well, it's because they do really good TV, Simon. They good do TV, it's true. Um, Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, the Godzilla story that looks at the Monarch organisation and all the intertwining characters, both past and present, that are out to reveal exactly what Monarch is, what role Godzilla and all the other kaiju play in, what Monarch are doing. Kurt and Wyatt Russell playing the same character decades apart is uh, a, 
what could have been a bit of cheesy stunt casting, but it works perfectly well. Anna Sawi, Sawai, I think it's pronounced as as uh, in the lead as Kate Render is just superb. She's she's so wonderful in this. Everything about the casting is great. Everything about the effects work is great. It gives a lot of emotional weight to big monster movie tropes, um, and this is one that I pretty much blasted through from episode one to whatever the final episode was that the the good people at Apple gave us. So um, big five. fan of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Yeah, five. Yeah, so I've only seen the first five episodes. I've got to catch up on it. My, mm-hmm. It would definitely make my top 20, and my ten, like 11 through 20 is a little bit robbery, so I'm still sort of playing around with that. Uh, by the time people sure. hear this, I'll also be publishing a list through my daily newsletter, which will have my official confirmed list. This is like a list in work. It's a work in progress. <laughs> work in progress, okay. But my concern with God's, uh, with Monarch, uh, what's it called? Monarch, something of monsters. Legacy of monsters. Legacy of monsters. My concern with it is, is that of the five episodes that dropped to begin with, I really like three of them. One of them I was fairly iffy on, and there was one which I was just kind of a bit concerned about if that was maybe a sign of uh, more TV to come. So I really like the opening two episodes. I think it did a fantastic job of establishing the impact that these large kaiju monsters have on everyday people working and living um, just across the world. So we see this very much through the lens of uh, two approaches. One, people who are just emotionally scarred by the fact that these monsters have come along and interrupted in their day-to-day meatbag lives with, you know, something larger than themselves. San Francisco incident, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But then also there's like that sort of family element and how it ties into a much larger organization that's tasked with uh, looking after these monsters. Um, I do have a theory which is possibly disproved by this point, um, by the pe- time people actually listen to it. I'm kind of assuming that the woman who I guess is the grandmother character that, um, spoiler alert, is probably dead at the end of the first episode, isn't dead at all and is actually the person who has been running the monarch. Interesting. That's yeah. quite a take. That, that's that's my theory, but I'm waiting to see that play out. But episode five is the one that got me a little bit sort of nervous about the series, which is... At that point, it became fairly clear the show was playing into that sort of lost trope of, hey, here's the character, and now let's explore their backstory and find out what makes them really tick before we see them, where they've come from. I don't think the show needs to do that. I think less is more, and I'd prefer to discover the characters as we go without just being slapped across the face saying, this is yeah. what they're about. Allude I get that. To I things. see what you're saying. I know what you're yeah, saying Explore about it through character. Don't explore it through flashback. It's lazy, mm. lazy, lazy TV story writing. I do not care for it. And the show starts mm. employing that, and I just kind of wish that they hadn't. Um, and if the show really sort of, through episode six onwards, starts laying into that just that little bit more, then, you know, it, it diminishes in my eyes. But again, but Dan, we're recording this too early to be able to judge, so who can say? Dan, I, one word, Godzilla. Godzilla. It's a Godzilla TV show. In that regard, it, it uh, delivers far more than we we could have hoped it would be as does by the time this comes out the movie that's about to hit cinemas godzilla minus one also a terrific bit of entertainment so i'm all godzilla all the time at this stage it's weird because you keep on talking about godzilla and i'm just thinking where's king kong but that's neither here nor there my number four simon people are weird yes go on 
Who doesn't love a giant monkey? My number four, Simon, is the second animated series on my list, a show that I absolutely would never place on my list with other animated shows of this ilk before, but here we are, 2023 is a wild place, My Adventures with Superman. Ah, wow, big surprise, the Superman show, and it's Dan Barrett, who'd have thought? Anyway, let's go, what's so good about it? So, Simon, back in the 90s when there was the Adventures of Superman cartoon, or was it just called Superman? I don't know. Whatever the Bruce Tim Superman cartoon was, uh, you know, it was fine, I, I guess. I watched a few episodes. It's okay. Uh, there was another Superman show. It was like Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. It's fine. Whatever. Like, you know, there's Superman content around, which isn't necessarily making my list. Also, I'd like to point out there is a show, a live action show right now, Simon, which is eligible to be on my list called Superman and Lois. That's not on yeah. my list. So just because it's it. got Superman in it doesn't necessarily mean it makes my list. But this one Stand did. Corrected. And All right. What was fun about this program and why I think it made it as high as number four on my list is it took a character and a world of characters and did something new with them after we've seen these characters in so many different versions of TV program, live action, animated series, movies, comic books, uh, video games, um, novelizations. Like we've seen different takes on all these characters in so many different permeations through mm. our entire lives of pop culture. There is not a single person here who is listening that outlives Superman existing as a character. Okay. He has been with us for all of our lives. And yet the show managed to do something entirely new with them, which I was just sort of blown away by. And it wasn't just new, but it was also highly engaging and just um, emotionally affecting at times. This is a show which starts out being just kind of this thing about um, Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen are there wanting to become sort of um, journalists at the Daily Planet. Uh, it's also 2023, so while that's kind of exciting, it's not quite what it was maybe sort of a few years ago. These are guys that are definitely on the outskirts of what's considered to be cool. Uh, the Jimmy Olsen character is also kind of a Simon Foster sort in that he's still really into UFOs and ghosts and all sorts of other stuff that doesn't exist. I like him. He knows the truth. Yeah. So he's into that. Uh, they end up meeting this girl named Lois who is uh, just completely nuts uh, they, she's obsessed. She is domineering and bossy and just kind of awful, but also they really like her. Uh, and the three of them become a friendship circle. But what happens with a friendship circle like that, where not only does one of them get revealed to be the new superhero that's sort of changed the entire status quo of the world. Okay. But also mm -hmm. what happens when you're the third person in a group where two of them have hooked up. And so Ooh, you've got that's awkward. Well, that's kind of it. So the entire show is kind of each of the characters coming at their relationship from different perspectives. Jimmy is man on the outer who knows that his best friend is also Superman. Uh, his, you know, other best friend, Lois Lane, is um, hooked up with his best friend. So he doesn't quite know what to do. And so he goes off and starts exploring the whole UFO, like supernatural sort of stuff. Uh, you've got that mm -hmm. taking place. You've got Lois, who doesn't know whether she can actually trust Superman or not, or at least Clark with this guy that's got the secret, because he's got this big secret. What if he's actually there to cause harm to the world and she's just willing to go along with it because she loves this guy? Like, it's kind of an sure. awkward relationship. Meanwhile, Clark's got um, trust issues for his entire life where he's had to keep a secret from all of his friends. And so he doesn't really quite know how much truth and how much of himself to give to his friendship circle. Like, they're actual proper relationships and interesting perspectives. 
Why do I feel that you've become quite invested in this show? It seems like you have a very... I am. It's in, good to engage with it. That's great. Yeah, I'm invested in all of my top shows, Simon. All of them. All right. Okay. All right. So that was, what's it called? My Adventures with Superman. Correct. Uh, which I do want to get around to watching um, at some point. Now. And the name Simon before... is a little bit clever <laughs> yes. because it is clever. Lois is having adventures with Superman. Jimmy's having adventures yes. with Superman. And Clark Kent yes. is also having adventures with Superman as a character in his life. See, it's that sort of thinking that's made Superman such a beloved character for all these years. <clears throat> okay. So before we get emails, you referred to the many permeations of Superman, which mm. for, to me didn't quite sound right. It is, in fact, an adverb which refers to the process of a liquid or gas spreading to every part of an object or a place. The word you were looking for was a permutation. That might be correct. But also, Simon, you put on your top 10 list the Enfield poltergeist. So, you know. <laughs> Let's call it even. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Now, by my calculations, we're into the three. I've got three left. Yeah, is that, that is correct? correct. Yeah. I mean, if you'd written a list like a grown-up would have, then we wouldn't be in this situation. Well, I but did, but are. I got all out of In fact, Simon, I'll have, to, I'll have to speak to the uh, screen-watching uh, historians, but I'm pretty sure the exact yeah. same thing happened with last year's list as well. No, you hold a grudge, mate. You hold a grudge. That was 12 months ago. Yeah, I think it did actually come to remember. Bring it up at the <laughs> board meeting. All right, well, I'm going to throw in there just a um, something that I actually left off my top ten. I wish I hadn't because I adored this show and I, I, I watched it. It's an animated show and it's what? called Mogwai Secrets, uh, Gremlin oh. Secrets of the Mogwai. This show stank. Now, this clip. is the animated adventures of one Sam Wing, who anyone who knows Gremlins knows Sam Wing is the old man from the movie who originally sells uh, Gizmo, or who became Gizmo, the Mogwai, to the young boy, uh, to Hoyt Axton as the father of um, Sam, and he took it home and did all that stuff. So that's this is sort of a, a prequel, I guess, an origin series. Uh, it is created with the original director Joe Dante on board. It's written by um, uh, Chris Columbus is also in there as well. All the people that were involved with the, the great sort of first movie have come on board for this beautiful bit of animation. It looks stunning. Um, it's a great bit of entertainment for the under 12s, I guess you could say, all those with an under 12 mindset, not unlike myself. So I gotta say, I really enjoyed um, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. I don't know why you I'm so yeah. sit down on it. Because it was a really bad television. Did not care for it. Well, look, I, the only thing I would say in my defense is that I seem to have miscalculated my top 10 list and needed one to drop in at the last minute, and that was the only one I could think of. So I'm going with Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogway, because I love the Gremlins. I'm a, and I'm, I'm Facebook friends with Joe Dante as well. So. Sure. I'm sure that's a very near and dear relationship he holds dear to his heart. <laughs> I bet. What's your number so, three? Somehow it's 2023 and Simon made it through this entire year without watching this program. And he also made it through all of 2022 also without watching this program, which is, some would argue, one of the top two TV programs of 2023. It's a show from FX slash Hulu in the US and Disney Plus here in Australia. It's called The Bear. This is coming from a place of wanting to start fresh and clean. This is going to be a destination spot. We drafted a quick term sheet. We need more money. Will you turn that thing off, please? How's that not making you insane? I don't mind it. It's a 
facelift, it's not a gut. Bear, it is a facelift and a gut. It's criminal! It's gonna take six months to open. Six months? That's being what, confident? Cocky. Crazy. Now, Simon, I don't know what I even yes. need to say about this program because everybody's watched this program. Everybody agrees Everyone's this program's fantastic. And yeah. yeah, I'm stuck with this guy where week in, week out, I'm like, hey, what about Ao Adabiri? And then he's like, I don't know who that is. And then three weeks later, the same yep. thing happens again. I'm watching her in a movie, uh, Bottoms. She's in Bottoms, which I'm reviewing this week on the, uh, on the podcast. Simon, so, stop giving uh, away how many weeks ago we recorded this. Yeah, I know. That was a bit of a... A bit of an insight into our schedule, wasn't it? Okay, yes. No, I look, everyone's talking about the bear, and you say, and, and it's one of those everybody's talking about the bear. So, like, uh, everybody being the dozens of people who watch the streaming platform, uh, uh, Hulu or Disney Plus, uh, and not the everybody who goes to see the Taylor Swift movies, but. That's a buy and buy. What I want to say is I've heard great things about this mo- about this TV series, The Bear, and I know you're a huge fan of it. Can you explain in a brief terms why it is so beloved in your house? Oh, I mean, where does one begin? Also, just sorry, I'm just kind of a bit caught up with this Taylor Swift ticket comparison. Uh, I think the thing to keep in mind is that while box office sounds very big in terms of the dollars, each of those yeah, has to go. be a ticket that comprises of like up to twenty twenty five dollars each. So it's kind of more about the number of tickets sold versus the dollar box office. If you really want to start getting some figures, like the interesting, yeah. what's what's actually interesting about TV is that on a regular basis you've got these, like let's say it's the middle of summer, the biggest movies come out this year, and like we can all agree there was no bigger movie this year than say Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Well, clearly not, but okay, yes, but, your point you know. being. But yeah, so you know, big Hollywood movie comes out and there's a lot of oxygen sure. given to it and whatnot. And like, I'll have gone to big, you know, action blockbusters or whatever else. Like, sure. you know, I'll get along to them all. Um, the big movies will come out. And then if you actually look at the number of people that bought a ticket to go and see that versus the number of people who watch like just your generic TV program at nighttime, it actually just turns out to be roughly the same. If anything, mm. TV is often watched more widely by people then the number of tickets actually sold to these movies i'm not diminishing movies here at all but there's an interesting thing of scale where we start talking i think about you're it. talking about how many people are watching the bear or any of the film or any, any oh, well of i the think TV you'd be surprised simon exactly how successful the bear has been but i'm just talking just generally about television versus movies like some of the yeah. you know big to medium performers around the place so like you think about like a svu episode or something like that like on an episode by episode basis like more people are actually watching that episode of svu than they are whatever the big movie of the moment is like it's just kind of every house has got a tv screen not every house has got a uh, that's why going to the movies is such an important vital social experience but we're getting into areas of our discussion which can go off the rails as as have been proven in the past why don't you tell me why you love the bear well, it's not incorrect. But anyway, uh, what is fantastic about the bear is just that for, I mean, I, I would certainly say that it's slightly sort of unassuming in that I don't think anyone really expected this show, which was, and we've seen this kind of show before. It's about a chef who's supposedly really, really good, who suddenly comes into a kitchen of people who uh, have run this sort of fairly crappy um we'll say once of a better phrase, like a burger sandwich mm-hmm. shop for years and years. And so he comes in and kind of expects more of his staff than, you know, if they're quite able to give. Okay. So like, we've yeah. kind of seen all that version before, but what we haven't seen of that version is if you think about say like a Safdie's brothers movie, okay. Something like uncut gems where you watch that mm-hmm. movie and it's about every episode, just ratcheting up the tension just more and more as each minute of that movie passes, you are kind of getting that on this TV series experience. 
But what's also really interesting is that while episodes of this can get exceptionally tense with characters that you generally care about who are getting involved in interpersonal squabbles, situations that are taking them a little bit outside of um, areas they feel comfortable in, while you're seeing this on a episode by episode basis, the episode also knows when to pull back and to give you some really, really quiet moments. There's been nothing more affecting this year on television than this one episode where the cousin Richie character, who's a very loud and brash character, is suddenly thrown to work in this other restaurant where he sees the job as being completely beneath him. But when he sees what's actually possible in a really high-end, classy restaurant, and that if he actually steps up to the challenge, he can be part of what he sees as like this he never even understood that this was a thing, but he suddenly, his eyes were opened to an elite level of just industry. As soon as he saw that was possible, his, own, his entire his life changes and you see this yeah, change. So you yeah, see characters go from being loud and intense and being part of this constant ratcheting tension to suddenly shifting gears entirely and becoming the opposite because he's had this life experience. And this is happening, like that Bluey episode, which had all of this within seven minutes, we're watching this character mm. go through like his life, and we kind of think we know who this character is. But in this one episode, everything we know about this character is influenced. Well, sorry, is um, everything within this episode is impacted by the experiences of this character through the few seasons of the show that's seen to that point. Like it okay, is all I of a piece, and it's just incredibly smart and clever in execution. I will. I do promise constantly that I will get around to watch The Bear, and I promise that I will because it does have a whole lot of people who are very good in it. Um, Jeremy Allen White, I know, is uh, is sort of the hot thing at the moment. Um, speaking out quite vocally against MCU and the impact that superhero movies are having on the creative body. I don't think he was really speaking out against it as much as he was just saying it wasn't really quite his thing and he really badly effed up an audition. That's true, he did. That was a funny story. All right, so The Bear is something we all need to watch. We are into our top two, Dan Barrett. This is very exciting. Okay, my second one. You ready? Chronicling the inner workings of an American jury trial. Oh, sorry, Simon, eyes. just quickly. So is this number one for you then? No, this is number two for me. No, because The Bear was my number two. Oh, no, because I've skipped one. Oh, my God, I did a Simon Foster. Ah, I think this happened last year too when Mr. Listman was in charge of everything and then he left out one of his skip over. Do you need to make good now? Do you need to step up? Oh, gosh. I'm going to do it. I'm going to drop one in here. Oh, okay, so it. the bear is my number two, okay? But my number three, which I glossed past because I was just that excited about talking about the bear, okay, <laughs> is a Netflix series called The Diplomat. Ambassador Catherine Weiler, Prime Minister Nicole Trowbridge. Welcome. Sir, it's an honor to meet you. Ah, honor to be met. <laughs> Someone is luring a strike force into the Persian Gulf. The president is sending you to stop a war before it starts. Not butter a crumpet. Welcome to London, Ambassador Weiler. Tell me how. I'm the ambassador's wife. My husband was an ambassador for a long time. This will be an adjustment. This is a show that came completely out of nowhere for me. So, look, if there's something with Kerry Russell in it, I'm going to watch her because, you know, Kerry Russell, who doesn't love her? Kerry She's Russell. America's sweetheart. She should But this is a program which I think I used the phrase earlier, kind of lives up to the potential of TV. 
to me, back in, like, was it House of Cards was 2014, I want to think, when Netflix are announcing, hey, look, we're going to do a TV program. And suddenly a whole bunch of people like myself got excited by the idea that there was going to be a TV network producing the sort of HBO level dramas for like a streaming service. I think a lot of us anticipated that it was heading in this direction and not what really happened, which is that a lot of people who weren't making television and didn't really think much of television, were suddenly given the opportunity to do television. So you've got all these um, people who were aspiring screenwriters suddenly taking their movie idea, which is a two-hour idea, and then stretching it out across 12 different parts, okay? And then that got truncated to 10 parts, and then to eight parts, and then sometimes to six. But they sort of looked at it thinking, oh, well, you know, we can get deep into the characters. And no one ever did that. There was just a lot of wading of water and just uh, premise that just sort of stretched out. But what you've got with this program, The Diplomat, is you've got someone who actually knows how to make television, making television for a streaming service, which means that Deborah Khan, who made this program, she's the creator and writer of it, okay, she uh, has a network TV sort of background, came from shows like The West Wing. And she created was effectively a network drama, but also had moments of adult content in there with um, relationships between your titular, uh, not titular, uh, between your primary characters of Kerry Russell and Rufus Sewell, who is just incredible in this. And it's like, Rufus Sewell, like, where have you been since 1999 when you're in Dark City? Like, where have you, like, what's been going on? Because uh, he's fantastic in this. He's very charming and just, you know, uh, slimy, but also just super appealing all at once. But the two of them have this weird relationship, which is based on uh, both of them sort of want to be able to take sort of elements of power in their world of being diplomats. Uh, but also uh, it's kind of, it's not quite a love relationship. It's kind of more a marriage of um, political convenience is probably a way to think about mm-hmm. it. But also they're kind of sexually attracted to each other as well. So it's, it's, it's not love though. Yeah, it's right. kind of, you know, there's something happening. But you don't see those relationships on broadcast TV. That's too complicated and nuanced to be able to get away with on a broadcast uh, relationship. But you can do that on streaming. And they do that in this program. There's moments of um, slow pacing out of stories, but speeding up when necessary. Episodes end on really good cliffhangers and good sort of character moments that make you want to press play on the next episode. It's kind of that promise as to what we kind of hope streaming TV would be, which is ER, but on streaming, but like with a whole bunch of episodes released at once, which you can kind of watch at your own leisure and just get caught up in the lives and um, foibles of your various characters. And this show just kind of- Another one I have to check out. It's just expert television delivered expertly. Nicely said. All right. So The Diplomat is definitely one to watch. We're into our top two, kids. Settle down, everyone. Don't go anywhere. We're about to reach our top two. For me, number two, the breakout star of the television year was a gentleman named Ronald Gladden. If you don't know him, you haven't seen Jury Duty, but you will know the impact he had on anyone who saw this show. Um, This is the story of uh, the inner workings of an American jury trial through the eyes of this one guy, Ronald Gladden, who doesn't realise that everybody else in the courtroom, on the jury, the judge, all the prosecutors and the defenders, they're all actors. And they put him in the most awkward and hilarious situations that were on television this year. This is the other series I was talking about earlier that had me laugh out loud, double over, funny laughing. Um, The only recognisable name in there is James Marsden, playing himself, but playing this 
really brilliantly funny, egotistical, can't believe he has to be stuck on a jury, James Marsden. Um, and it's about the relationships as they build over the six or seven week trial as it unfolds. Jury Duty was the cleverest bit of television all year. Um, and uh, another one that was marked in the diary as, as must see TV for me. Number two on the Foster file. Yeah, the problem I had with Jury Duty was that I couldn't really get past the fact this has already been done as a premise of the Joe Schmo show like about 15 years ago. But done very cleverly and handled in a way that was was not like anything else on television this year. And the, the reactions from this Ronald Gladden guy were, were, were just terrific. Keen mm. to see what he does next, if he does anything next. Now, my number two. On What's list, your number two? My number two is The Bear. Of course, that's right. We came around to that earlier. Okay, so right. Simon, oh number one... This is so exciting. <sighs> Deadlock, the Australian series set in Tasmania. The town is getting ready for a winter festival and suddenly bodies start turning up. So the local constabulary led by Kate Box, who plays Dulcie Collins, and Nina Oyama, who plays the first constable, Abby, um, they have to uh, prepare themselves for the arrival of Madeline Sammy as Eddie Redcliffe, a Darwin police officer who's come to Deadlock to help without help out with the murder investigations. This was just the most crackling bit of uh, entertainment I saw in the small box this year. Um, the uh, dialogue, the swearing is incredible, but the way it's done and the way the characters speak to each other in this very blue, very quote-unquote Australian way was just hilarious. It's also a cracking bit of murder mystery as well. I was totally caught up in who might have done it in this small town. Uh, at any given point with one episode to go, it could have been any one of the characters, and each one has their own backstory, which is expertly prized out by the uh, the writing team on Deadlock. So this divided a lot of people. I've spoken to those that love it as much as I do and those that couldn't quite get into the, the swearing and the harshness of some of these characters. But for me, it was, um, it, it was just the most compelling and propulsive bit of television I saw all year. So my number one for 2023 goes to an Aussie show, Deadlock. About 10 minutes into the first episode, they introduce a character that is so broad and unwatchable that this show quickly became my number two worst program of the year. I really no, just... See, that all changed. That all developed. Her, her, her impression, her initial sort of... Um, landing on the on the on, in this small town of Deadlock uh, was meant to shock and was meant to disrupt the the uh, flow and the the balance of this small town. When it all aligned by the last episode, it was perfection. Stopped watching by then. Could not stomach a single second with that character on screen. All right, Mister. What's your number one? Well, Simon, my number one is a program which I'm 100% sure that you haven't watched, and I'm 99.9% .9 sure that nobody else listening has watched it either. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man of the people, Dan Barrett. What is, what's the show? Look, I mean, the thing is, I can only talk up these programs so much until I just get tired of just the silence from people because, like, where's the dragons in it? The show that I want to talk about, Simon, is a program called Lucky Hank. I have this weird feeling you're going to end up in jail. Or the hospital? I'm President Dickie Pope. What is this guy up to? I'm going to New York to interview at the Arlisle School. My life is here. Your life could move. My mom is here. You aren't talking to her.
Simon, that bewildered look on your face makes me think that you do not know what this program is. I, I know what this show, this is the Bob Odenk- Odenkirk show, which we compared to The Wonder Boys, which is a, a favourite film of both you and I. Um, but it sort of came and went with barely a whisper in terms of <laughs> barely, its impact. Barely a whisper? Like, that, that is polite. Like, that, a whisper sounds thunderous <laughs> compared to what happened with Lucky Hank. Yeah. Yeah. Why the pull? Why is it of such a why is it of such a uh, an, an adoration on your part? So look, I'm always going to get drawn to fairly sort of lo-fi, low-key, funny things like this. So where I did not care for Deadlock was that you had a character that was so broadly comedic and over the top that I just find that just it's just like nails on a chalkboard. I just can't do that. You missed the boat on that one. Something Tell like me this. about Lucky Hank. Something like this, which is hugely understated, is very much my bag. And shows do not get more understated than this program did. Now, I can appreciate that anyone who tuned into this episode may have sort of found themselves just um, lulled into just complete lack of interest in the second episode. Where in the second episode, they introduced this character who, he's a familiar face. And I'm just trying to think of the actor's name because, um, oh gosh, he's not... You know, I'll, I'll even just find the name and people still don't know who this guy is. Um, he's a guy that you've seen in comedies over the years. He's a bearded guy. He just kind of looks a bit like Odenkirk. And well, Odenkirk with the beard is probably the important sort of thing here. And so this guy, he's even more understated than Odenkirk. And the casting was just a little bit off for the episode. Okay. And so oh, I found man. myself losing faith slightly with the second episode. But as each each episode went on, you just had this lovely relationship between this husband and wife who, you know, he's difficult to want to spend time with because he's just so into himself and doesn't really have a lot of um, emotional space to give anyone else in his life because he's just so obsessed with himself and what's going on in his world. Meanwhile, you've got his lovely wife played by Mariel Enos, who is uh, somewhat... um, choked i guess emotionally by having to deal with this hank character in her life who requires a fair bit of attention um to be sort of polite about it okay but she gets given this opportunity to take a job that is actually sort of meaningful to her as a it's like a principal sort of a role or like a lead school administrator position um in new york city so she's thinking hey look hank you've had a career and it's kind of not going anywhere um here's a great opportunity for me i want to go and do this so there's this tension happening within hank's life but as the episodes sort of start unfolding you begin to learn what it was that actually led hank to be so self-absorbed and to have such sort of emotional sort of neediness and in the exact same week that everybody was going crazy for that succession episode with the logan roy character you've got this incredible episode of television of lucky hank which takes place largely just around a dinner table for the full hour and it's this dinner party where hank's invited his colleagues who he doesn't really care for very much and they've all got their own idiosyncrasies because they're all just so wacky uh they all sort of come by but by the end of the episode bob odenkirk's delivered this uh, monologue sort of flashback tale talking about his attempted suicide when he was a kid, okay, which leaves everyone else just sort of, um, you know, stunned, including the viewers. Like, I've not actually watched an episode of television that builds up to something so unexpected, but also so Mm -hmm. profoundly just, um, 
I mean, it wasn't like it was moving by any means, but like you're just kind of caught up in like the emotional side to the character. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I get it. You're, and I, an answer, but you're it. caught up in like the sort of emotional sort of void. Like you kind of understand the character, but also you're just kind of left in your own sort of state of personal ennui as you try to consider like what it may, what it takes for a person to go on living after something like that in his life. And it's a suicide attempt, which obviously is an attempt that doesn't go anywhere, but it's also an attempt that's dismissed entirely by his father. Okay, like he finds him. All right, so there's a lot of, yeah. lot of darkness there to work with. Huge amount of darkness, but also there's some really funny sort of physical abuse against um, geese on campus. And <laughs> it's, it's laugh out loud funny, but also it's just really quiet and contemplative. And it's just really smart, clever television, which it's hard to recommend to people because it's not going to be for everyone at all. But if it kind of yeah. hits your wavelength, I kind of think that it's probably the most meaningful thing you're going to see all year. What was the other show that came previously, like a couple of years ago, that was also about the woman who returned to academia? Oh, yeah. That so kind of... uh, that one was the Amanda Peet comedy, The Chair. Yeah. And if you watch oh, the, the chair, chair right. yeah, you mentioned that in your yeah. review. I remember that. Yeah. Watch the chair and watch Lucky Hank, almost the exact same program. Only one of them, I think, is fairly clever in its execution, and then the other one's called The Chair. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there it is, our top 10 TV shows of 2023 with a few hangers on at the end there. Simon, I, do, you we, just wanna, do you just want to like yes. barrel through your list really quickly? So I can do that. Help people guide through. All right. Just outside the top 10, we had Love and Death, Utopia and the Rehearsal, then Counting Down, Silo, on Apple TV, Blue Lights on BBC One in the UK or SBS On Demand here in Australia, Kunk on Earth, which I think was a Netflix release here in Australia, Correct. if I remember correctly. BBC in the UK, um, last, The Last of Us, which was a HBO, or which was a Max title in the US and one of the Fox channels here in Australia. I'm doing this off the top of my head, I'm sorry. Um, Platonic from Apple TV. Then we had Monarch Legacy of Monsters, also on Apple TV. Jury Duty found its way into your household via the... Uh, Prime Video. What was that on? That was on Prime Video. Of course it was. Uh, the Enfield Poltergeist, another Apple TV title. Poker Face from, uh, oh, I think it was on Binge, wasn't it? Or Stan? I can't remember. Exactly. Uh, it was in Australia on Stan. Man, I do believe. And the, right there at the top, uh, available on the Amazon network, is Deadlock, the locally shot murder mystery comedy. And what were your 10? Uh, my outsiders was Star Trek Picard, The Big Door Prize, I'm a Virgo, Shrinking, Dead Ringers, Still Up, Blue Eye Samurai, Platonic, and Swarm. And then going through my top 10, we had Hijack on Apple TV+, Plus, Succession on the home box office here in Australia on Binge, Bluey, the episodes of Watch's TV shop, and you can find that in Australia on iView. Uh, it's the best TV episode of 2023. Uh, you got The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Prime Video. You got Beef on Netflix. Poker Face on Peacock and Stan is in my notes. Uh, my Adventures with Superman, which was a Max original or Cartoon Network, one or the other, that plays here on Binge on the streaming service. Uh, also, I think maybe Fox Aid on Foxtel. Uh, you got The Diplomats on Netflix as my number three. And then rounding out my top two, you got The Bear, which we got here on Disney Plus, and Lucky Hank, which you can find streaming on Stan. And as the great man would say, do yourself a favor and give Lucky Hank a look. So a pretty good year for television, I would say. If you had to rate 2023 as a as a the creative output as a as a whole from the, the TV media analyst that is Dan Barrett, 
what would you give it out of 10? Look, I'd say the last couple of years, like there's been some outstanding TV, but also there's been a couple of years where it's been a bit of a, um, a bit of a negotiation of thinking, does this deserve to be in a top 10? This year, I kind of found mm. it really, really easy to put a list together because there were just some shows that to me were just really clear standouts. And what I think is maybe fun about TV and why um, I reacted so strongly to some programs this year is that it kind of feels as though there's so many different TV shows doing their own thing. Okay, like there was no other TV show on the air this year that felt like Lucky Hank. There was no cartoon yeah. show that felt like My Adventures with Superman. Beef is singular. Uh, you were talking about Deadlock. Like, I didn't care for yeah. it, but like it's a singular experience. Sure. Yep, absolutely yeah. right. The Last of Us, Kunk, exactly. So it was our, our top 20 odd, our 34, I guess, was filled with. Um, with really idiosyncratic creative visions and that's uh that's a big plus downside to all of this there is still a bit of bloat um the netflix bloat is a very real thing and and i've sort of started to turn away from a little uh, from some of the netflix content when i see that it's a, a six episode documentary or something like that because i know it already feels bloaty to me um but i guess the other thing we're looking at we looked at this just the other week with the the napoleon is that it's going to go to a four-hour version on on apple tv in the weeks ahead and that already feels like bloat so um we'll see if that can be reined in in the years ahead but i think 2023 has been a pretty good year for television i see i'm very much there for that extended napoleon i'll definitely be checking that out i think you're nuts god it goes longer than some of the wars he started no way look i look i enjoyed napoleon way more than i did the scorsese film that i've already forgotten the name of (laughs) killers of the flower moon (laughs) which i haven't forgotten Killers of the Flower Moon, which may or may not make our top 10 next week. Well, it's not going to make your top 10, obviously. No, it is not making my top 10. It's not going to make mine either. Anyway, so we'll be back in however many days or weeks it takes from when this airs after we recorded it a little while back to the time it goes live. I don't know what I was saying then. Dan Barrett, thank you for your time coming together with the the top 10 TV shows of 2023. Yeah, can I just give a quick spoiler? Neither Napoleon or Killers of the Flower Moon make my top 10. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm. Any cartoons in there? I bet there's a Superman one. There's no, there was no Superman feature film, like animated or otherwise. Yeah. But there are three cartoons yeah. in my list somehow. <laughs> Leo with Adam Sandler. Anyway, I've got to go. <laughs> See you later. Bye, Simon. <laughs>